It is, and I, you know, I told Karen she can keep stocking the refrigerator because you know it's part of the background sound of the podcast makes it sound like you know people are in the room. We don't want to prevent people from doing work either. Absolutely not. She's actually doing work, so we're going to just let her. Nope, it's all good. Nope, you hey, now you're part of the show. Hi, I'm George Tekbachev with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another Easton podcast. And Steve, you've got uh, you've got a number of trips coming up all in a row. There's a lot of stuff happening. You're getting ready to go to Belgium? Going to Belgium this weekend. Fort Van Leer? Yeah. So talk about that event just a little bit. That that has become a um, kind of an alternative event, uh, so to speak, that uh, lends itself to field archery in a gnarly place. Uh, it's supposed to be a good tournament by all accounts. Yeah. If you like rain in particular, but... You know, it's going to be a wet tournament, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, everyone who shoots them holds them in high regard, so I'm kind of looking forward to shooting my first one. Um, they do a really good job of, you know, actually producing a, a watchable show. Yeah. And it's broadcast live or semi-live on Vimeo. I've actually never watched it, but I understand. Is Alistair does the uh, um, commentary? I don't know if he is now or not. I know uh, Tapani Kalmaru was doing it, and Alistair was doing it, and... Um, I don't know who they have slated for this time around. Yeah, but uh, yeah, they do. They handle some commentary. They've got you know shots uh, like a split screen shots of the target and of the shooters. Uh, it's very well done. I actually, it's one of the few archery broadcasts that I tune into when I'm at home and someone else is playing. Haven't gotten around to watching it. So um, the format is basically a field round, though. It's world archery rules. No, it's a modified. It's a modified NFAA round. Mm. So IFAA for those of you not living within the the. So states. they're using the um, the two separate targets, the two kinds of targets. Yeah, they'll use uh, the uh, black, white, black field face and the black with a white dot hunter face. But no animal round. No animal round. Nope. And um, an animal round is uh, for those of you who don't know an NFAA animal round is a, a picture of an animal on a piece of paper and you shoot it. You know, and there's a kill zone and. But it's yeah. on paper, right? It's it's shooting at a picture of an animal. Yeah, L. and yeah, now in NFA, it's two D, three D. There's a there's a dot in there. There's a bonus dot in there. A which bonus is, dot. Yeah. And does it have anything to do with the anatomy of an animal? Just like you know, three D doesn't have anything to do with the anatomy of an oh, animal. Oh, definitely not. No, it, right. it was uh, before they changed. You know, in the NFAA side of things, before they changed the pros' rules to X counting as a six, um, it was basically like you show up and shoot the NFAA animal dot nationals because that was the round that swung things you know you get a guy like jesse who's going to shoot 559 560 and you get a bunch of other guys who are going to shoot 558 559 you might even see a 560 in there so you have this whole cluster of guys that are separated by one two three points you know and i'm talking like 10 15 guys and then they do the animal round and that's when things get interesting because you know out of 28 targets if you shot 20 dots that's not necessarily a bad day but you better be around 26 27 if you want to win and you kind of sort of got to know those targets right i mean the kill zones are not necessarily well marked um well no they do the dot is colored in so it it can be hard to see depending on shadowing. see i'm pre-dot i don't remember the dot right you I, I shot an faa years ago yeah i remember the ring but i don't remember the dot yeah they've, they've got a black or white dot in it now so it can, it can be tough to see. So you kind of got to know your stuff there. But um, that's it, it, what's nice about the new field scoring purposes. It doesn't doesn't make the animal round so heavily weighted. You know, now every arrow literally counts. 
I just realized it's been exactly 11 years since I've shot an NFAA round. Wow. Any kind of NFAA round. Anything to do with the NFAA. Except for Vegas. Except for Vegas. But I don't count that because it's not really the NFAA. No. All right. Well, so this Fort Van Leer round that you're going to shoot, that that is modified, you said. Yeah, it's modified. I think we – and bear with me because I haven't – I don't have the full scoop yet, but I believe we shoot three arrows per target. Um, they don't necessarily have max distances on the targets, you know, like NFAA. It might be – you know, you might be shooting a 60-centimeter face. Marked? All marked? Yeah, it's all marked. Uh, you might be shooting a 60 centimeter face further than what NFAA typically shoots it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, instead of an 80 yard walk up where you shoot 80, 70, 60, 50, you may just park your butt at 80 and shoot four air or three. Do they allow, uh, do they allow a cut chart or? Yeah, you, you can know? use whatever, whatever means necessary. Electronic so, too? Um, yeah. Wow. Yep. So I'll have a range finder. And, well, I would too. A, yeah. a range finder with a goinometer. Why not? They're cheap enough these days. You can afford them and, you know, it'll tell you your cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the most part, I mean, it on these, you know, and I've talked with a lot of guys about this, you get past a certain angle and it can be tricky. And I have my th- my theory and thoughts on why, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's just physics, right? But coming out of a bow it's not you know you know with the ballistic coefficient of an arrow maybe things don't match up how they're supposed yeah, and to. there's form stuff that's probably even more gnarly than that when you come to shooting a 60 degree angle on a target you know yeah not that you have a problem there but a lot of folks you know their their form can can really affect them yeah well we'll see how this goes i'm i'm super unprepared um, well sometimes you get sometimes you get what you deserve when you're unprepared and sometimes you exceed your expectations yeah well hope we'll hope i can exceed expectations I, I have a you know thursday and friday to practice so that's good i can get some sight tapes but i'm talking like i i leave at 9 a.m tomorrow morning and it's you know 3 p.m right now I mean, you get a 4 p.m meeting i know that yeah so. and i yeah i'm skipping a meeting because right i'm now. in there too and i haven't fletched arrows yet, oh you skipped so. the kaizen meeting for this podcast yeah, yeah I, just the last part of it so. okay all right all right well that's that's good you know those Kaizen meetings, they're, they're, they're gnarly, you know. All right, so um, Arizona Cup. You ready to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You're just back from Arizona Cup. Uh, I didn't go this year. I um, just, you know, after all the travel, I just had some stuff to do here, so I didn't go. But um, typical Arizona Cup, started it, out good weather-wise? Um, it was as good as I've ever seen it. You know, I think that was my fourth Arizona Cup. And, yeah, the weather was was as good as I've ever seen, except maybe my first one. My first one was pretty ideal. Um, you know, this one, our we shot the morning, the men's compound shot the morning, and our the front half of our qualification was, you know, pretty open. Guys could go for some big scores there. I think 355 or 356 was top. So it wasn't, you know, dead calm, but there was opportunity there. And then the second half got a little, little windier. Um, we still had some guys shoot huge scores. You know, Jesse, 708. Um, I think Alex Whiffler closed with like a 355. There was, there was a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. Um, and on the uh, the afternoon, they caught a, quite a bit more wind. So the the women's compound and the men's recurve were dealing with it a little more than we had to. I think Brady still shot in the upper 670s in qualification. So he shot a pretty solid score for you know the wind he was in. But uh, as we moved towards eliminations, it, it got steadily worse, and by the end, it was it was downright windy. 
typical Arizona Cup. So I'm just confused about one thing. Who won in the men's recurve? Uh, Zach Garrett. Okay, I thought so. But uh, looking at the podium shots, Crispin is on the top step. That's why I was confused. Hmm. So anyway, it doesn't matter. Zach Garrett took first place. Brady Ellison was second to Zach. Brady was the number one qualifier with a huge score, 676. Zach was uh, 13 points behind him, qualified third. So Brady was shooting well above the yeah. rest of the pack. Yeah, point per end. Yeah, yeah. and um, then you got Crispin Duenas finishing third. And, uh, you know, Crispin consistently on the podium at Arizona Cup. Caleb mm-hmm. Miller from the U.S. is uh, was fourth. Some other heavy hitters included uh, Dan McLaughlin, who was seventh, and uh, our buddy Hamilton Gwen from Canada. He's uh, eighth for this, which is a great finish for him. Gan Gambadorge from Mongolia was uh, in that group of people finishing in the uh, ninth place bracket. So he made the long trip from Bangkok to Arizona Cup um, in just a little over a week. And uh, for the women's recurve, we have a shooter from Mexico, Rebecca Marquez, uh, showing up as uh, number one in the... Uh, oh, that's the ranking round I'm looking at here. Second was a woman from Colombia, Carolina Aguera. And then our good buddy Mackenzie Brown from the U.S. was the top American qualifier, third place for Mackenzie. And then looking at what happened in the... Uh, Bronze medal match had uh, Mackenzie Brown against uh, Ms. Hong from the U.S. Mackenzie took the bronze. We had Ms. Uh, Aguera of, Me- of Colombia taking the silver and Ms. Marquez of Mexico taking the gold. And I saw on the podium, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking they accidentally put up last year's podium images because Ida Roman was shown on the podium shots in the 2016 Arizona Cup, Arizona Cup World um, Web page just now oh yeah that's probably i will it. bet they're you showing last year's they're stuff. showing the wrong photos although they have the link to the results for this year yeah, they're showing probably just their promotional photos for the website could be could be anyways who knows doesn't matter point is that uh well a little bit of controversy here you know um arizona cup has been a world ranking event for a long time and um at sometimes in the past that wasn't worth anything because nobody of note showed up and the way world ranking points are weighted those world ranking points amounted to nothing if, if you didn't have top shooters showing up. Some years, they've been worth a lot. You know, a lot of uh, my personal world rankings uh, placements have come from doing reasonably well at Arizona Cup because of people like, oh, let's say, Michele Frangilli showing up, you know, and that gave it extra weight because at the time he was world champion. Now, I think we've just seen the last of the world ranking status for Arizona Cup from what I'm understanding. That's my understanding as well. I think it's just going to be the Arizona Cup next year. It's not going to be a world ranking event. I don't understand a couple things though. It was a world ranking event this year, yet they didn't follow the bracket rules. They did a number of things their way. Any reason? um, Maybe they're just checked out. I I think part of the thing is they're trying to be all things to all people, right? They got paras in there. They got cadets in there. Mm -hmm. So when you mix all that stuff in there, well, you know, I mean, any other any other world ranking event I've been to separates those out. You don't have a world ranking event that rolls everybody into one giant category. And the other thing is, um, they follow the bracket rules. Every other world ranking event I've ever been to followed the bracket rules. Arizona Cup didn't do that. I don't get that. I don't understand it. Yeah, they never have, and I believe. Uh, I and again, as you said, they're trying to cater too many people. It's also a USAT ranking event, so I think that's why. Which is. 
I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms. It is. Just an example. Just one worm. Shooters. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and, and with all due respect to my buddy and your buddy, Crispin Duenas, as an example, how many guys have lost out of USAT because they got beaten earlier on yeah. by an international shooter? Exactly. If it's a USAT event, you know, I believe international shooters should be welcome for the qualifying round and then have their own bracket. Yeah, you know, or they some could other, even, you know. I, I, I presented this to you know, Mike Columber. I said, you know what? We were done by like 9 o'clock on Saturday. Let us rebracket and just as the USA shooters qualify and attempt to qualify the USAT team, you know, if you're going to do that, you rebracket, you come back Saturday afternoon and we shoot through. There is no other country in the world that will let you shoot in a national team selection event. No. If you're not a member of that country's team. It's dumb. And, and you yeah. know, I, I've shot, I shot the Japanese nationals. They let me shoot the qualifying round. And then they said, thanks, George. And then they said, you're done. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for participating. Which, by the way, I not only expected, but, you know, would have expected, right. but certainly respected. Because, you know, who's, who am I to take out somebody from? Yeah, from, you muddy the waters. Yeah, why would I do uh, that? I've, I've had the conversation with uh, Rob Coffold and, and, you know, a USA archery board member, and as well as uh, I'm about to spend the weekend with Rod Menzer, and he's uh, the athlete rep for USA Archery and um yeah they're they're going to a board meeting here in a couple of weeks and I think we're going to we have to see some changes because um at Arizona Cup I have only been eliminated by an of the four times I've shot I've only been eliminated by an American one time last time I shot Arizona Cup and I got eliminated in the I think the quarterfinals and the guy went on to um the final and then he refused the drug test wow so he got banned for a couple of years who was that i can't name names I, it's no point in naming names although i'm sure a lot of people can figure it out just from what i said but man i was irritated at that <laughs> that really bothered me yeah <laughs> really bugged me that the guy that uh, took me out you know basically did a no test i would hope prize money is you know only awarded to those following a successful drug test. I would hope, but uh, I don't think there was prize money at the time. Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you about the Arizona Cup experience I had where I moved up like eight places in two ends? Uh, no. Okay, we had a 60-mile-an-hour wind. This was when it was at <laughs> ASU. The, the tournament was at ASU, and we had about a 60-mile-an-hour wind blow through, and at this is at 30 meters. So I moved up like eight places at 30 meters. Do you know why? Because I was able to keep all my arrows on you the target. Scored them all. <laughs> I scored them all. <laughs> it's no joke. They finally suspended the tournament because of, it was dangerous. We were shooting on Saunders mats, which are grass mats. They weigh probably 110 pounds, they something were, like that. They were still blowing over. Mm -hmm. Not wow. just blowing over, like traveling a distance before they'd fall over. <laughs> Striking humans. Well, close. So you know it was dangerous, and they they stopped the tournament. But uh, uh, until they stopped the tournament, two ends were expended, and I I got my somehow managed to get all my arrows on the target. Very nice. So that moved me up a whole bunch of places, which I can't <laughs> complain about. The, um, the weather being predictable in Arizona is certainly not a truthful statement. It is not predictable this time of year. So no, it's hard finals to were finals get. were pretty windy. Pretty windy. We even got rain. We had a rain delay, uh, well, a lightning delay, mm. um, and then yeah, it stayed stayed kind of windy. I mean, I, the scores really plummeted. That's a that's another point of contention of mine. Um, you know, part of our USAT ranking, for those of you who don't know, 40% is based on qualification round, 40% based off elimination round, 
20% based on your average arrow score. So, so in theory, you can be penalized by yes. winning. Yeah. And that's exactly what in happened bad to, conditions. to everybody who continued to win. Um, you know, like, like for instance, I, I eliminated Bridger Deaton at the time when I eliminated him, I think I had three more points than him. Through, let's say at the, the time, rounds. let's say at the time your average arrow was a 9.8. Yeah. By the time you got to the next round, the wind had come up, your average arrow, even though you were still shooting well, was an 8.8, let's say. Just, just theoretically. Hypothetically, Hypothetically. Yeah. So your, your average came down, even My though you went further. Because I, because I want, I mean, there should be some There needs to be a, a nullification factor. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you get eliminated in this round, the best, you know, the max points you can get for your average arrow score is X. And if you get eliminated in this round, it's, you know, 2X or whatever. And, and exactly. So on. That would solve it. Yeah. That way there's, I don't know, or just do it based off placement. But, the, you know, know it's been this craptastic system for about 10 years yeah. now. Yeah. USA Archery has some serious flaws to fix. And, you know, talking with some of the, the people shooting Olympic trials currently, you know, and they're they're selecting the World Cup Shanghai team and the, the Medellin, well, all the World Cup teams, a little bit based off USAT ranking and a little bit based off the current Olympic trial standings. And, you know, they told them, oh, this is how we did such and such in 2012. Well, the athletes are not stupid. They went and looked it up, and that was not the case. Um, so there's inconsistencies there. There's uh, inefficiencies and, and errors in how we compute our ranking and, and, uh, and how it's actually determined. And it's just uh, it needs cleaned up a bit, you know. And, and maybe I've benefited from it. Who knows? But Or others. You know, yeah, it would be nice to to have a very fair system and, I and transparent. Like we have I, I think a lot of people don't understand the system and how it works. Uh, I know that WA, when they um, assign the system for how they're going to pick the World Cup finalists, super transparent about that. They put out a memo. Yeah, it's got all the details. How yeah. this is exactly how we're calculating this, and you know, right down to the nth degree. They're, <laughs> And then Tom yeah. Dillon signs it, and it goes out on the internet, and boom, yeah. everybody knows. You can't. Everybody's on a level playing ground. Yeah, you can't really argue it. So, and I was, I was one of those guys who was sitting number eight and needed to be number seven, and you know, one arrow changed that, and I, I was very aware of what exactly had happened the minute I lost my last match. I went, okay, I, I'm out, and then here's why. And if it happens to work out this way, we still tie, and then he's in, and here's why, and blah blah blah. So, so, you know, the first time I made USAT was before World Cup. Um, there was no World Cup circuit then. But USAT still had some value in that if you if there was going to be an invitational tournament, you'd be the first one selected if you were ranked in USAT, you know, if, if you were in the top four, for example. And I think I was fourth, uh, say, back in 96 as an example, which is the first time I made USAT. So that had value back then. Now, being on USAT is of limited value. Right for the for the most part, people on USAT who are just on USAT, they get a shirt. Yeah, essentially. So now USA Archery is expanding the number of people on USAT by declaring the existence of a freaking barebow USAT bare for a USAT. category that isn't even in target archery, yeah. and a masters USAT, a category that's not a world championship contention category. That's weird to me. I don't get it. What's the point? Yeah, we've never – I don't believe we've ever had teams or sent teams or funded teams in those categories ever. Not in the last – I don't know. So, yeah. I don't, you, you wonder sometimes 
you know, if they do things to create importance, to create entries, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I see it a lot. Archers get wrapped up and, oh, well, there's, this is on the table, you know, I have to do this so that I can be a part of this, which is meaningless. Right. That's my point. It's not, yeah. there's no meaning right. to being on a bare bow USAT. I mean, nope. cause there's no such thing as bare bow competition outside world field. I guess, I guess, um, they have some category nationals maybe. They do shoot. Yeah. They shoot within our nationals. So how many people again, is that? Then again, it's not contested at a world archery indoor. Well, there's or, no such thing. Or outdoor, yeah. yeah. So, all right, well, whatever. All right, then, moving on. You've got your rule of the week that you want to uh, bring up uh, for the next few weeks. What's your latest one? Have you th- given that some thought? Um, I had a couple last time we brought it up. What did I go over last time? Was equipment it the failure. Equipment failure Which, rule. Which, by the way, has generated a lively discussion on Marcus's forum. Yeah, and I'm still griping about that. And you know what? I've just decided that until they do something about it, I'm going to use it to my advantage. All right, then I'll bring one up. I'm not real wild about protecting the top eight. Okay. I'll tell you why. I'm 100% in agreement with you, and I I think I know why, but yeah, why don't you go ahead and... Well, here's why I think, and let's see what you think. I think if you're protected, and I'm putting this in air quotes, right? So you can see I'm flipping my fingers, (laughs) air quotes. If you're protected in top eight, all you're doing is getting set up for failure. Because the guy who you're coming up against has won one or two or sometimes even three matches mm-hmm. before he runs into you while you've just been out there practicing. Yep. He's, he's got the, the barnacles broken off. And practice arrows are not the same. Yeah, you got to step up and, and figure out how to score. And he's already shot 30 or 45 arrows. And your adrenaline peak after you've shot a second match is a whole different ball game than when you step up there fresh. Yeah, I'd rather be, you know, I, you take, I could be number nine or number eight. We're going to see each other in the bracket. And I'd rather be, you know, I'd rather be that number nine guy. I that think way so I get too. I to shoot my way up to. Yeah, I'm up, I'm up against 50 something. I've got a yeah. good chance of beating that guy. Yeah. And then, and then two rounds later, you'd see, or three rounds later, you'd see nine. You know, the nine, nine or eight would have shot already. But. You know, if I'm if I have the option between eight or nine, which I have shot off for the eighth spot, and I didn't get it. And looking back on it, I'm, and in fact, it was against Sergio Pony in Poland. So Sergio is Rio. Sergio and I shooting off for seventh and eighth place, and those two beat me. So I came away ninth. I shoot against Sergio. You know, we moved through the brackets, and I had three or four good matches. Shooting against Sergio, I beat him. You know, he had one match before me, or maybe two. So it just, no, it's not advantageous. Uh, and another example comes to mind. A few years ago, it might have been 2014 in Colombia, uh, P.J. Deloche qualifies number one. His first match is against Roger Willett, who had a really poor ranking round, qualified 32nd. You know, the, the guy who's 32nd, he may not be a bad archer. He may have just not had a great day. And uh, Roger came in and stomped him. So, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather have a, a a patsy to warm up on than have to come in cold and take my chances. All right, I guess we both agree. No controversy there on that one. But they still keep doing it. So I'm glad you had the rule of the week because mine was going to be basketball related. So well, we'll save that for the next one. <laughs> yeah, until I run out. <clears throat> You've got uh, Shanghai coming up. Yeah, following. Boy, what a, what an odyssey that's been for you. Oh man, yeah. 
I have two passports now and one of them is, you know, getting expedited to get a Chinese visa. And so I'll only be going to Shanghai provided I, you know, get a visa. If, if not, I'll be staying home for a week, which they'll probably, the end of the world. they'll probably give you the visa. I shouldn't have an issue. No, but, but you know, the hoops that we have to go through to get to China, um, practically nothing compared to the hoops some people have to go through to come here to the United States. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about the, some people have to go get an interview. Tom Dillon had to go get an interview. Well, think about the uh, Indian juniors, right? They were denied entry for world youth. Some of them were denied. So obviously, and I don't blame the team for doing this team said, okay, if we can't all go where none of us are going to go. Yeah. I don't blame them the least, but boy, we don't make it easy. No, it's rather difficult. So hopefully there's not, you know, a, returning of the favor against the u.s team at some point that would be you know that'd be karma i guess but (laughs) yeah so you know we've got a world cup here next year and hopefully uh, things will mellow out a little bit before uh, before that thing yeah it's probably going to be you know on some of us to help with the logistics of that so of course if you know president trump is in office then we don't have to worry about anybody wanting to come over (laughs) (laughs) oh boy nobody will want to visit Hey, politics on the Easton podcast. Awesome. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, so just getting back to AZ Cup for a second here, we, we really kind of gave the compound guys short shrift. Rio Wild winning uh, his first really big event. Yeah. Since, since, since switching companies. Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he beat Mike Schlosser. So it looks like finals. those pro fields are, or pro tours are working well for him, switching yeah. to pro tours and a stiffer arrow. Yeah. He's using a very, very stiff arrow for someone his draw length you know shooting a 380 but and who was second oh mike schlisser yep so. mike took you out in the quarterfinals yeah mike beat me in the quarters uh he beat Braden in the semis and then yeah he had a lead on on rio and and shot a seven and rio you know stuck the next two right in the 10 and, and took a good lead on him and ended up uh where well he might not have taken lead it might have just been for the tie uh anyhow it went to a shoot off arrow and, and rio shot one just off the X, and Mike shot a nine. So um, third place was Braden Galantine? Yep, Braden ended up third. So that's changing um, the guard for the uh, number one ranking in world men's compound now? Yeah, it looks like Mike actually moved back ahead of Sebastian Pinot for world number one. So. Sebastian had a rough time. Yeah, he didn't – I mean, I, I don't know. this. I don't know what's what's up, if it's uh, something that's just you know temporary or what, but you know he missed the cut in Nîmes and – um, so shot, a patch, shot a yeah. very, very low qualification score here in AZ. And, uh, yeah, then he was eliminated, I think, in the the 116s by Bridger Deaton. Arizona Cup compound women. Uh, Toya has been on a tear since yeah. – uh, she's shooting a Hoyt now, right? Shooting a Hoyt, yep. Yeah, she's shooting that well. So she took first place, and silver was Sarah Lopez from Columbia, who's off to a pretty good uh, – season i would gather yeah she feels like she's you know working through some things right now and let's remember she's still a medical student too, yeah right? she i don't think she's been fully focused on archery you know but it's uh, with world cups around the corner i think it's you'll see her brogan williams from uh, oklahoma yep finishing bronze yeah not bad at all so uh a solid uh, one two three toya cern sarah lopez and brogan williams from uh team usa yeah they uh it was a full Easton sweep. That was pretty cool for me. That is cool. It uh, meant a little extra work for you, but uh, that's okay. 
I think that that's good kind of a uh, good kind of problem to have. Yep. So, um, you know, we haven't mentioned this, but of course we have our podcast email and uh, I've been remiss. I know in the last two podcasts, I haven't mentioned it. It's podcast at EastonTP.com. But we still get lots of email for the podcast, even though we haven't mentioned the podcast email for a while. Mm-hmm. And I like this one in particular. Hello, there is a fund to be transferred out of this country as a deal. I immensely request for your optimum honesty and cooperation. Find attached for details. <laughs> I hope we were quick to respond to that. Oh, one. yes, yes. So I'm going to be um, writing a check for $47,000 against a deposit of $12 million in my account. Simple as that. It's awesome. Yeah, that's a heck of an ROI on that. And then actually we get some actual questions. Um, and it's this one's from Ray in Australia. And Ray wants to know, Hi, George and Steve. There seems to be two schools of thought on what you should do with your front arm whilst aiming your bow. One school says you should push toward the target. They call this the push-pull method. The other school says you should just hold, hold your arm out in front with no muscles involved in pushing. I won't say which I favor, but would like to hear your view on this. Again, this came from a club discussion. And uh, Ray loves our podcast. So um, I would say that holding your bow arm out with no muscles involved in pushing is a recipe for getting a bow in your face. But (laughs) obviously you have to, you've got to engage the muscles, you know? Yeah. So rather than a relaxed bow arm or, you know, driving the bow arm, I suppose. Um, So, all right, let's separate this out between compound and recurve. You first, compound. Yeah, I think... uh, Strong bow arm, you know, steering. I always say you got to steer the bow. And I always say you don't you don't drive a car straight down the road by holding the wheel perfectly straight. You know, you don't shoot arrows into the 10 ring by, well, it would be cool if you could, but for most people it doesn't work, but you don't do it by just holding dead still in the middle of 10. So I think a strong bow arm uh, generally promotes two things. One, helps you work back towards the middle. And two, it helps promote good shot execution. You could even argue three, Strong bow arm helps you in windy situations to steady you up. So, yeah, I agree with you, by the way, on every point you just made. Uh, in my case, when talking about coaching recurve or shooting recurve, either one, I like to dominate the bow. I like to have a shooter dominate the bow. Mm-hmm. And that means actively engaging that front arm. Mm-hmm. That means, you know, actively pushing on the thing and, and, you know, feeling like that is what you're doing. And I think that's important. You know, I, I, I would say that... Um, the the most relaxed looking shooters, um, people like Kibo Bay, they are absolutely engaging that front arm. Yeah, they've got to be. I mean, it's uh, you watch that bow react. Yeah, the bow as the bow comes out of the hand, you know, and it leaves the hand, <laughs> it's it's pushing forward. And then you got shooters like Jay Bars, for example, and people in his in his style, and they are reacting so that the bow is actually swinging off to the left or right, depending on which you're handedness is Mm -hmm. if he were a right-handed shooter the bow swings off to the left vice versa for jay it swings off to the right and um again that's a manifestation of of pushing through the shot to the degree Mm -hmm. but they're but but they're not just pushing through the shot they're you know they're actively engaged the rear scapula is rotating all that happy stuff is happening and without getting into the weeds of you know different training systems and different shooting styles i would say that um it's pretty obvious that if you're not engaging your front muscles then you're not holding the bow out there it's going to come so back what do you, you think about people who give the bow a lot of english you know they toss it around on a bad shot so you know obviously what's going on with that is that the arrow's gone right? long 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 gone. gone long gone i think it's it's it, it's actually distracting to the people around you it well, can, it can be. be especially you in know? a tight 
headquarters situation like Vegas. Yeah, well, like Rio mentioned to me, the the guy he shot against at Indoor Worlds was like vehemently tossing his bow. Oh, you know what? He's absolutely right. The 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 fellow from Iran, whose name escapes me at this moment, he was not just tossing his bow. He was going through some gyrations, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's. Uh... I mean, he was tossing some Farsi on that thing, not just English. <laughs> Yeah. It, Seriously, though, he was really, I mean, uh, I don't blame Rio for noticing because, holy smokes, the guy was doing some unique stuff. Yeah. In my opinion, if you cut one loose and you're not in the middle, just just realize it's it's gone. You can't do anything about it. Just take it. Move on to the next one. You know, tossing the bow around. It just, it's, how do I say it without offending people? But oh, just offend them. It, I'll get over it. It's dumb. Okay. <laughs> But, you know, it's it's also a reaction. You know, it's a reaction to something you saw. Yeah, I suppose. And, you know, um, particularly for for recurve shooters with a clicker, um, I, I think there's just some stuff going on there mentally that some people just react when... Yeah, well, a reaction is different than a blatant, you know, overkill gyration of the bow. You know, I've got a, I have a favorite photo of a friend of mine, Tom Stevenson from Oklahoma. Tom, uh, of course, the... Uh, the great archery scientist, as well as uh, a great shooter back in the day. And Tom, I, the photos of Tom with both feet off the ground, <laughs> literally, he's jumping in the air while following through. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> both feet are off the ground. Wow. That, see, that to me is just is overkill. Well, that, I can live with a, with a natural, you know, you, dr- you shoot a dip bang and you kind of lift the bow there at the end of the shot. Yeah, but whatever gets it in the 10 ring, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, if, you're, if you've got a guy next to you and you're yeah, I agree almost with that. hitting him with your bow or, you know, literally it's so noticeable that the guy is afraid he's going to get hit by a bow or, or get bumped or something, then you should probably tone it back. Well, for sure, if you're in close quarters like Vegas, and you know, I mean, you only have 80 centimeters or so. 60 like is it 60 that. or 80? I can't remember. It's I think not the very new much. World archery rule is 80 centimeters. Actually, the new rule is a meter. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. That that's uh, after. So that's now. That's current. So you see what happens when you get to Shanghai. You're supposed to have yeah. a meter. We'll see. Nobody's been talking about that, but it's it's uh, it's on the books. So yeah, the the I don't know. I've probably had enough of complaining about rules okay for now <laughs> well it makes for entertainment i just say they they get enforced sometimes and sometimes they don't well you want to get into rules we can talk about how certain countries call liners right and at least they do it across the board they do it for everybody well but uh you know there's a number of world records held by some shooters from a country that habitually has judges calling arrows as long as they're somewhere within the printed specification limitations of the target face I don't follow. All right. There's a spec on a target face. Right. Right. It's, it's like 1%, right? It's uh, actually it's actually spelled out in how many millimeters. Okay. And it depends on which ring. So if your 10 ring has a 1 millimeter tolerance and your arrow is 1 millimeter out, the judge can elect to say, oh, it's intolerance. Call it wow. in. So would that be a full millimeter or, or a half millimeter due to radius? A silly millimeter. Good question. Don't know the answer to that last part. But the point is that, you know, rules do get applied differently in different places, and uh, hopefully they don't get applied differently to different people. Right. And that's all we can ask. Right. So I think that's all we can say for now. Right. Which means? End of show. End of show. 